You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. My oldest son just, he just has to know what is up ahead or uh, he's just racked with nerves and worry. Look, y'all, you've been there before. You're going to love it. No, that wasn't enough. Tell us where we're going. Tell us where we're going. All right. Okay. Um, Let me give you a hint. It, It starts with the letter H. Their, ba- their brains began to, to spin. They just had to know what was up ahead. They just had to know what was next. We going to Dunkin' Donuts? <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, that doesn't start with H, um, so no. And there was some silence, and they're like, ah, we going to the arcade? And I'm like, guys, again, we're not going to the arcade. Um, it doesn't start with an H. So I could see them in the mirror growing in frustration that was just driving them crazy to not know the next destination. And this uh, sly smirk began to grow on Judah's face in the very back seat. And he said, I know where we're going. I figured it out. And so his brother and sister begged and pleaded for the answer. Tell us, Judah, tell us. Well, he said H, so that must mean we're going home. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you got it, man. Ding, ding, ding. There's the right answer. We are driving home. I thought it was a fun little game. Uh, My children did not (laughs) think that was fun. And, you know, after all these years, after so many years of growing up, we still act like children in the back of a car just begging to know what's up ahead. The anxiousness of our heart to know what cannot be known. The anxiety that floods every single one of us to know what is up ahead in the middle of our journey. Wouldn't life just be so much easier if God revealed the future to us? And maybe some of us would say yes. Um, Maybe some of us would say, you know, we don't want to know. And I'm saying we're just desiring the wrong thing. That the answer to anxiety is not the revealing of the future. The answer to anxiety is what has been revealed to us today. Let me show you from the word what that means. We'll begin in Matthew 11. If you have a physical Bible or a digital Bible, it appears uh, that I left my Bible at home. So I'm, I'm thankful for technology. So we'll just read off my iPad this morning. So if you're with me, And you didn't bring your physical Bible, uh, I'll read out of the ESV translation. If you have a digital Bible, everything else is in your, or it's on your bulletin and also on the screens. But before we study the Word together this morning, 
Uh, let's, let's pray together. God, we, we do confess that, that deep-seated desire just to desperately know what's up ahead. We just want to know what's going to happen the rest of the day. What's going to happen tomorrow in the years to come? God, sometimes we just confess that we, we, we really believe that everything would be okay if you would just reveal the future. And God, as we study your word this morning, remind us that the most important thing has already been revealed. So God, give us understanding um, and grace as we read Matthew 11 this morning. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. I need thee every hour to cry and a longing for our hearts that need Christ, that we need Christ more than just a Sunday, that we need Christ more than just a small group hour or a study group session. We need Christ at all times. And so we started this four-week study last week in hopes that we might force our eyes and our heart to the Word of God, that we might see and cling to the promises of Scripture, that we might hear and understand the power of the Holy Spirit and how Christ does answer the anxiousness of our hearts. And so we started with this question, why shouldn't we be so anxious? The question we'll look at every week. And last Sunday, I gave you three of those answers from the Gospel of Matthew why shouldn't we be so anxious? This is from last week, Matthew 6, uh, 25 through 34. Because our life is more than things, because we're more valuable than birds, because we can't add time to our life. And this morning, I'll give you points four and five. So let's continue in Matthew's gospel. I'll start in Matthew 11, uh, verse 25. At that time... Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. All who labor, heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Last week, we found Jesus on the mountainside teaching and preaching to his disciples what is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount, a series of exhortations to his followers. But as we enter chapter 11, the scene has shifted. Chapter 11, verse 1 says, When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now we find Jesus going throughout the cities. He, he's teaching incredibly difficult truths to hear. And before we can even answer the question today, 
we need to look at the heavy words of the Lord in verses 20 through 24. So I did put them on the screen, but if you have your Bible, just back it up a little. Matthew 11, starting in verse 20. For context, it says, Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, then, then I would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have been remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. And in case we forgot what happened in Genesis 19, in their unrepentant, wicked sin, the Lord rained down sulfur and fire, and a certain guy's wife turned into a pillar of salt. Friends, this is false teaching that Jesus is all love and no judgment. It's not only false, but dangerous. The Old Testament is not mean God, and then the New Testament is nice God. No, we serve the same God throughout the ages. And Matthew 11 is a reminder that Jesus, he's not your homeboy. And Jesus is not your drinking buddy that only wants to hear your problems, but can't do anything about it. Remember what happened to Sodom, Jesus is saying? Well, I tell you. It will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. That's in the New Testament. That's from the words of Christ Jesus. We don't peddle a false gospel with all love and no judgment. You don't get to the love of the cross by ignoring your sin to put Christ there. Look at the Bible. Look at your Bible. If you've got an ESV translation, there's these added subheadings that feel just pretty at odds at each other when you read them. Woe to unrepentant cities, and then today come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus is not confused. Jesus is not rambling. Jesus is not contradicting himself. The transition here in Matthew's gospel is that if you and I have unrepentant sin in our life, we have every reason to be anxious. Which means, I had to stop typing this message and repent. I had unrepentant sin in my heart as I typed this message. I had sin that was causing this anxious reality in my soul before a holy God. And I had to stop what I was doing and confess my sin to the Lord. If you have unrepentant sin right now, you should be anxious. Your heart should be flooded with anxiety and worry and fear. Like how dare I try to preach this message, and not get right before the Lord. 
How dare you, you act like everything is fine when it's not? Sin does and should cause an anxious heart before a holy God. Woe to unrepentant us. And I almost never do this, but if you've not confessed your sin to the Lord, let's do it right now. I mean, what's the point of waiting for some cultural altar call? Why should we continue into verse 25 with a heart filled with unrepentant sin? So I'm going to give you a few moments. Um, give myself a few moments. Prayer, pray a prayer similar to this. Lord, forgive me for not obeying your word. Forgive me for thinking and doing whatever I want. Lord, and I, I trust you will forgive me. So seriously, I'll give you a few moments to pray, just you and the Lord. I'll pray and then we'll continue. Father, we uh, come before you this morning, and, and I do pray that your church would be filled with confession and repentance, that the silence in a, in a church service, for whatever reason, feels so awkward these days. God, we, we want to look forward to gathering with, with you with others. God, we want to look forward to gathering around your word. We want to look forward to the rest of the study, and we want to do that with a clean heart. God, we confess our sin to you, both privately and as, as individuals and even publicly, corporately. And God, we, we trust, according to your word, that you will forgive us, that you have forgiven us, and so we move forward with confidence, and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Why shouldn't we be so anxious? All right, I believe we can now correctly answer that question. If our heart is right before the holy God, why shouldn't we be so anxious? Let me give you point four. Four, because God has been revealed to us. God's been revealed to us. Verse 25, at that time, Jesus declared, so this is a, a public prayer that was obviously an earshot of Matthew, a deeply personal, profound public prayer between the Son and the Father. Verse 25, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, 
that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. All right, let's, let's look, first look at the, the meaning of verses 25 through 27, and then we'll look at the implication. What does it mean? Well, first we need to understand that our Heavenly Father has sovereign reign and control over all things. He's Lord over heaven. Every angel, every created heavenly being, all order and creation of the heavens, the Father is Lord over it all. He's Lord over earth. Every human, every animal, every, every country, every ruler, every business in Carter County, every boss that you love or you struggle to love, every weather pattern, every tree, every mountain, all order and creation of the earth, the Father is Lord over it all. Secondly, we need to understand that it was the gracious will of our Heavenly Father to reveal the saving work of Christ Jesus to us. Now, that doesn't remove our responsibility to respond to the good news of Jesus. That doesn't remove our responsibility to choose Christ. That doesn't remove our responsibility to walk in righteousness. But come on, y'all, don't minimize God's word just because it's difficult to wrap your head around if you are a Christian, and this morning you say, yeah, I'm a Christian. There was once a season in your life that you didn't give a rip about God and his word. Maybe you grew up in church your whole life. Maybe you have Christian uh, parents or grandparents. Maybe you've listened to plenty of Christian music before. Maybe you've read lots of the Bible before, and none of that makes you a Christian. None of it. No, the, the light bulb exploded into your heart because of verses 25 and 27. Because of the gracious will of the Heavenly Father that you have heard the good news of Jesus, that the gospel of your salvation was revealed to you, and you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's not me preaching some pet doctrine. It's literally what God's Word says. Ephesians 1, verse 11. In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we, who were the first hope in Christ, might be the praise of his glory in him also. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And if you don't believe the Apostle Paul, listen to the words of the mouth of Jesus in John 6, verse 44. No one can come to me, no one, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. It was the gracious will of the Father to reveal His Son to you. It was the gracious will of the Son to reveal the Father to you. You're just a kid. 
just a little child. Little children with little hearts, gleaming with little faith. That's who God chose to reveal God to. Not because you're wise. Not because you were well-read and you've listened to a lot of sermon podcasts. Not because you know a lot about other world religions and Christianity makes the most sense to you. Not because you were of understanding. No, the good news of Christ Jesus is hidden until the Father reveals that good news to you. And thirdly, we need to understand that Christ Jesus has been and always will be the mediator between us and the Heavenly Father. John 14, starting in verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Uh, you know, Christians need to be more loving. They do. Some of the most bitter and hateful people I've ever met are people inside of the local church. So Christians need to be more loving. We do. But loving doesn't always mean inclusive. Christianity was never, never will be inclusive. It's the most exclusive faith you will ever find. There are not many ways to heaven. There's not many ways to God. There's one way, and that path is named Christ Jesus. And there's no amount of loving your neighbor that will get you to the heavenly Father. Verses 25 through 27 is a pretty solid reminder that being a really, 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 really good person is not going to get you into heaven. There are going to be really, 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 really nice people in hell. There's one way to the Father, and that's through the mediator, Christ Jesus. There's only one way to be inclusive, and that is the exclusive gospel of Christ Jesus that calls you to give up everything to follow him. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. For there is one God, there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. That Christ stood in the gap and paid the price for us. That Christ is the great and final mediator. If someone were to ask you this question this morning, why should they let you into heaven? When you die, why, why should they let you into heaven? Your only answer can be because of the work of Christ Jesus. That's it. He is our mediator before the Father. Okay, that's, that's the meaning, or at least the beginning of the meaning, but what about the implication? What about the so what? If everything from verses 25 through 27 are true, and they are, how does that, how does that help my anxiety? So, so there's a puzzle game uh, that exists that I've always hated. The idea of the game is to show you a picture, and except that your view of that picture is zoomed all the way in. 
And just by some of the shapes that you see and the colors, you take a few guesses on what you're being shown. Not great with any puzzle games, but certainly not with that one. Um, and if you know where I'm going, as the game progresses, you begin to zoom out. And the more that they zoom out, the more it all makes sense. And you just keep doing this pattern until the first person guesses what that picture is. The truth is, much of our anxiety in this life exists in a zoomed-in perspective of life. Where we are so far zoomed into our little issues and our little struggles and our little mess, we fail to see the whole picture. You know, if someone would just zoom out for us, that'd be great. If someone would just reveal the rest of the picture for us, maybe I wouldn't have to keep guessing the answer. And friends, that's verses 25 and 27. We keep wanting the future revealed to us when we already have everything that matters revealed to us in Christ. And this might sting, but, you know, is that not enough for you? Is Christ not enough, or you need to know things that just don't belong to you? Is Christ not enough that you need to know every little detail that's going to shake out tomorrow and the years to come? Because God graciously didn't give you that. God graciously gave you Christ. So if you're right with God, there is truly no biblical reason to have anxiety about the future. Corey Tinboom, she said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And if I can press so gently and maybe not try to ruin the rest of this study, um, if you have Christ, well, then your future is not fire and sulfur. Even if it feels like that when you turn on the news. If we have Christ, our future is not an unrepentant city burned to the ground, but a heavenly home where children play in streets of gold. I mean, is that not enough? You aren't God. I'm not God. We're a little child, and a little child gets to sit in the back seat and trust their dad to get them home safely. Is that not enough? We don't get to know every little detail. God has revealed Christ to us, and yeah, it's going to be enough, I promise. That will be enough. He is sufficient. Why shouldn't we be so anxious? Let me give you point five. Because Christ will give rest to our weary souls. Verses 28 through 30, it brings us to the culmination of implication here in the text. Now that we see that God has been revealed to us, the prayer of Christ moves to the prayer for his children, starting in verse 28, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and I, I'm gentle, I'm lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. 
the, the yoke, this farming imagery, a wooden frame used to join two oxen together, yoke used for the purpose of plowing fields and, and heavy loads, a team effort. I mean, what, what a strong, profound answer for this morning, this idea of being heavy laden. Because sometimes I just feel like I'm going to snap. I mean, maybe that's me, and maybe it's just three little kids right now, but there's just too much going on sometimes. Too many things to juggle, too many plates that cannot be dropped. And I told one of our staff members this week, like, sometimes I feel like my brain is breaking. Heavy laden, just one more thing piled onto our overloaded schedules. This desire to do it all. And let me kindly remind us that our desire to do it all is not admirable or respectable. That desire to fill our schedules with so many things so we don't let anyone down. The desire to be everything for everyone so you can just get some sleep at night. That's not a good and respectable thing. It's a statement that you would rather pretend to be the savior of the world than rest in the savior of the world. The anxiety to do it all is actually an act of rebellion. This is a plea from Christ that it just does not have to be this way. Come to him, lock arms with him, learn from him, abide in him, rest in Christ and find rest for your souls. So it's Absolutely of no coincidence that the next chapter of Matthew deals with Sabbath rest. If you turn to the next chapter, chapter 12, you see this altercation between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus is out picking some grain heads for his hungry disciples to eat on the Sabbath. The religious leaders, they, they lose their minds because they think picking some of these grain heads is a sign of working on the Sabbath, when, by law, they feel like they should be resting. And Jesus, in more ways than one, tells them that he is Lord of the Sabbath. Meaning, Sabbath rest, it's more than just a physical day. Maybe it's not less than. Sabbath rest is more than just some man-made rules. Sabbath rest is about Christ. And if you're not abiding in Christ, there's no amount of time off that's going to quench the longing of that heart. Being yoked to Christ is not some nice ideology. It's theology and practice. So you aren't yoked to Christ if you're always just too busy to gather in the local church and to hear God's word and to sing to his name with a community of believers. You're just not. You aren't yoked to Christ if you're always too busy to read your Bible and pray during the week. And let me be honest, most of us continue to stay anxious because we're yoked to the idea of being a Christian, but not the presence of Christ Jesus. I'm an incredibly anxious person. Maybe, apparently, everyone on staff is. Um, But little by little... Christ is is removing that from my heart and my mind. It's not progress in a day. It's progress in a a lifetime. If you want change, 
then abide in the Lord who can make the change. Ezekiel 20, everyone's favorite book, verse 12. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them. They might know that I'm the Lord who sanctifies them. God is trying to offer rest for weary souls. Will we abide in him? You're going to slow down long enough to learn from him. He's gentle, lowly in heart. Christ is gentle and lowly in heart. What a kind and patient God he is. God, he's trying to offer rest for weary souls. And I guess the question is, are you going to be humble enough to take that offer? Several months ago, um, I lost my backpack. I know, everyone's really concerned about this right now. And um, I used that bag to carry around my iPad and my Bible. Maybe that's where my Bible is. Um, and No, it's not. And all kinds of these random electronics. Thankfully, it was empty, um, but I, I couldn't find it anywhere. So I had no choice. Um, I had to have a bag, and I wasn't going to buy a new one, so I've been using the boys' old book bags for a while now. And I just load them up and, and with my stuff, and I just keep going. And to be really transparent, people keep making fun of me about this. And my sister laughed at me when she saw me with uh, a small Batman backpack. And even our own church elders uh, laughed at me when they saw me with a Mario backpack. And... Um, Random strangers, they keep giving me weird looks when they see me with a Spider-Man backpack. And I get it, I deserve most of it, but last week after a second service, um, I walked back that door behind the stage, um, I was looking for something, and there it was. My, my trusty old backpack behind the stage, I thought I had lost it forever, and there it was. And my wife... Um, called and I immediately told her with too much excitement what I had found and she did not return that excitement and that's okay. Um, and, and here's the thing, uh, you know, as thankful as I am to not being, having, having to carry around my stuff in a tiny superhero bag, I, you know, I still got to carry my stuff around. I mean, changing book bags didn't change the weight of anything, it's just as heavy as it's always been. Let's be serious. Verse 30, it doesn't make sense all the time, does it? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Really? Because I've been gathering with the local church consistently for my entire life. I've been reading the Bible, praying faithfully for many years. I've been doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and none of this feels light. It may be a question we feel nervous to ask in church, but why does it seem like the yoke of Christ still feels crushing sometimes? Could be. Maybe it's the same kind of question that John the Baptist might have felt in prison. The chapter this morning, chapter 11, it, it kicks off with a narrative 
from John the Baptist. You know the guy pronounced the coming Messiah? The guy who boldly proclaimed repentance in the wilderness. Certainly, everything must be going well for him. Not so much. John the Baptist is in prison and will soon have his head cut off. And listen to the words that Jesus has for him. Matthew 11, verse 2. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. All right, uh, Jesus, can you just let me out of this prison? That'd be nice. If you're the Christ, why, why don't you have some news to fix this messed up situation? Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Really, Jesus, that's your advice? See, being yoked to Christ doesn't mean that everything in life's going to get better. It might actually get worse. It's not easy because it's easy. It's easy because you don't have to be yoked to sin and death anymore. You're not blessed because everything in your life is perfect. You're blessed because Christ will get you safely home. You're not blessed because you never struggle. You're blessed because you're made right with God. And you don't have to do that alone. In fact, you can't. Why don't you come sit down with Jesus and learn from him? And he'll teach you a better way, the only way. Don't be anxious. Take on the yoke of Christ. That's your summary point this morning. John Bloom, he says this, this is the yoke exchange. In the cross, Jesus takes our inconceivably and unbearably heavy yoke of sin's condemnation and penalty. And he offers in us, us in exchange, the easy yoke and light burden of simply just trusting in him. He does all the work and gives us all the rest. And his work not only fully addresses our sin problem, but also provides the supply of every other need we'll ever have. All we are required to do is trust in him. So if you're weary, whatever reason, whatever complexity, Jesus invites you to come. Come take his light yoke of believing in him. And if it's hard, don't come alone. Come to Jesus with and through a believing friend. Believe, abide, follow Jesus' example, and you'll find rest for your soul. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for um, just the kindness of your word. I get so frustrated with myself. I get so frustrated with other people, even in this church. 
Why can't I get it? Why can't they get it? Why do they continue to run up against the wall? And seeing the reality of, of your word this morning, with every right to be angry, the gentle response, just come to me. All who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God, I pray that we would take you up on that offer this morning. Teach us what it means to rest in you. We pray these things in your son's name.